Um, Praveen has got a testimony for us to share, so Praveen. Uh, I joined a company uh, about 12 months ago. I, I was working in another company for 14 years, then I changed to the new company. It's a really good company to work for. Uh, they're the leaders in the industry. Uh, about since I joined, uh, the construction industry has been going through a difficult time. Uh, so my boss, obviously, because of all the cutbacks and the drop in revenue, uh, it was it basically what that meant was we had to lay off 60 people from a company. So, so my mind, I was literally a newbie in the company, so I thought I was one among that 60. Uh, so last Thursday, just before the Eid holidays, my boss gathered all the 260 people in the company, and uh, he, he said, "This is uh, what this means is 60 of us will have to go. He was very open and honest and transparent about it. Um, so... We as, I'm the head of a department, so I had to come up, every, every head has to come up with a plan uh, as to how to reduce costs and how to basically be streamline this company in this difficult time. So I'd given some ideas and everything. So anyway, so he made the announcement. Then uh, to my surprise, I was standing there among the 260 people thinking that, oh, you know what, this is probably going to be my last meeting here. But then he just went on to say what was going to happen. Then he just said, Praveen, I want to call her Praveen. And he came straight at me. This is the MD of the company. And he hugged me. I was like, oh, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) And he just said, you got to thank this man here because his ideas basically has saved a lot of jobs. Um, uh, So I was just blown away. I wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, So what that meant was, rather than 60 people, some of my ideas were implemented, and that would that saved 51 jobs. Uh, (laughs) uh, But it was it was it was definitely a real team effort. Like all the heads came together, thought outside the box, and you know, came up with some really good suggestions. But for him to recognize what I did at that point, considering where I was, I was convinced that I was going to go. Uh, but this is what I just felt like it was like a Joseph moment, the favor of God. Thank you. That's amazing, Hog. Um, when you feel like your back's against the wall and you've got no hope, and then God uses your situation. So, well done. Um, stay faithful, guys, basically. <laughs> he will always, always pull through. Um, Daniel. Thank you. Well done, Clint. It's amazing just hearing that, obviously, with Praveen, who leads worship, incredibly faithful family, God uses him powerfully in his workplace. And I really, like, that's in many ways what most of us are called to in Dubai, is that you run in the lane of your work, and that is God is going to call all of you to be an influential in that place, but he's also called you to run in the lane of of the local church. I don't think they are separate. I think they run side by side. And, uh, and I think in, in that place, you're going to begin to see and find out what your, call, the, your main call is. And some of you, like Praveen, for me, is, is walking in it. He's an incredible worship leader. He's influential in the workplace. What an, what an incredible sense to, to live in that place of destiny, 
call. I mean, I remember Andre Nodea telling me he had a prophetic word when he was 16 and God told him to do two things and he's still doing those two things today. He's walking in his call. And I, I really believe that I want to try to demystify what it means to be called of God because, like I said last week, we are all called. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are called by him. You can take the scriptures, you can bend your knee to the scriptures, you can hear the cry of humanity, and you can say, I'm called to do something, I'm called to make a change. We are watching a bit of a documentary uh, yesterday, um, and it was just, the, the, this guy was kind of walking through the, the slums of Bangladesh. People live literally on the, on the railroad sides, and I was like, wow, God, like, I know I'm walking in something of my call, but God, I know that there's more. The church needs to influence the poor, and we do, as a church, give monthly to uh, to Naron Ellison, who set up an amazing schooling system, and then they've also got a home where they've adopted um, probably over 30 kids over the years, where they've seen them go through schooling. And but I'd say there's more for our church. There's a group that is going to India. Am I right? You're going to go spend time with Biju. Is that correct? B- Bina, friends of ours in in India. Um, and we want to do more of that. Like that is part of our call. So you're, you're 9 to 5, or if you're a teacher, 7 to 2. What time do teachers end? Uh, joking. Apparently there's work after, but whatever. A four-month holiday in a year is a four-month holiday. Um, <laughs> I've just kind of lost like half our church there. Sorry, guys. But your nine to five, in many ways, is part of your call, pays your salary. But we can, you can also get involved in other things. Throw your life into the local church. Throw your life into serving. Throw your life into if there's a mission trip coming up, and I know we haven't had a lot of those, but we are in the throes of working on something. We're probably going to do Nepal in September. Um, we've got some great friends that work there. And um, put your hand up because these things change our hearts. It changes our lives. We are all called by God. And today I'm talking on one of, probably one of the most, my most favorite characters in the Bible. Um, just because I've kind of grown up, just that's the best Bible story. I grew up in a Baptist church and it's the story of David. We've all heard of David, am I right? If you haven't, go read the Bible, it's, it's a good thing. Um, and, but I want to start with this, and this is for me who we are as a people. We, and I read this and I'm going to read it every week over us as we go through this cold season. Uh, Series, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are called, we are chosen, we are royal, we are a holy nation, we are a special possession to do what? To declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. So whatever you do, we love God, we love people. And we're going to look at some specific calls on different prophets and different people's lives. We're going to look at Paul in a few weeks' time. And it just really tries to unpack, A, that everyone's call is different. So we can't have a thing like, I want Dan's call. No, this is my call. I've walked a road that I've had to forge forward. But God has a specific call on every single one of your lives, which means we can just run hard in our lane. And Paul says, I run towards the price. I run towards, I, I did a bit of training with Justin, who's sitting a few rows back. As you can see, um, I'm getting slightly bigger, but I think the biggest problem is that I haven't changed my diet too much, but I am getting stronger. Probably, probably from the lack of response, it's showing that I actually have not changed. <laughs> so there we go. And that's not Justin's fault because he pushes me, but I just need to learn a little self-control. 
And, um, and I, when I'm talking to him, he's always, got a, he's always got a goal in mind. He's like, okay, well, I'm on this 10-week something or the other. Then when he finishes that, he's doing... And I'm like, that's part, I've got a goal in my, in my Christian walk. I've got a goal where I want to be. I wanna, I've got a goal where I want to see the church grow and expand across the city and people's lives change. And, but in every part of our lives, we have to set things in place that we're aiming towards. Physically, spiritually, in our marriages, in our finances... Put these things forward. Write it down. Write down your goals. Write down what you feel God is placing on your heart as a destiny and a call on your life. So the story of David's amazing because it's about an underdog. Everyone loves an underdog story. I wrote down a few here. Karate Kid. Who remembers Karate Kid? Daniel's son. Not the, not the Jaden or that other girl that played Karate Kid girl. They were nice efforts. Okay. The original was Daniel LaRusso, um, and he went from New Jersey across to Los Angeles. He met Mr. Miyagi. He was a skinny little Italian kid, and he ends up beating uh, these, like, these big dudes who look like they're from Sweden. Super strong. And uh, you guys all remember the kick that he did. Anyway, that is my childhood. I literally, we wa- I watched that tape. So- I was in the time of VHS. Who remembers VHS? As a where the thing could actually get stretched. Now you can just like stream it offline or watch it on YouTube or whatever. But back then it was a VHS tape, and before that was Beta. Who remembers Beta? Wow, showing my age a little bit. And we watched. I watched Daniel Larusso beat all those guys, and I watched one, two, three, probably fifty, sixty times over. No exaggeration. It was the standard thing. Braveheart, another also great underdog movie, uh, based off of William Wallace which he had this, incre- this big British empire and the, the few Scottish clans who came against this British empire, underdog story. Uh, you had Cool Runnings. Who remembers the movie Cool Runnings? Uh-huh. Chris remembers that. He was in the team. <laughs> Ting Irie. And, uh, and that is based, it is based off, roughly off a bit of truth there. They're like, and the amazing thing, I went and read up about this, the first Jamaican bobsled team, they obviously initially didn't do too well, but the fact that they have no snow and actually went and competed against guys who live in snow, which is just amazing underdog story, they actually ended up beating America and, and Russia in one of the years, which is just incredible. Chris probably knows the story super well. Is that, is, did I get that right? There we go. <laughs> underdog story. David is, he epitomizes underdog story. Another reason why I love David is when I was um, probably about between 7 to 10 years old, my dad used to work in a, in a gasket factory. I still don't know what they actually did there. But he would come every now and then, he would come back with a sling. Because he knew I was into David and Goliath. And we had a tall pine tree. I've told the story before. We had a tall pine tree in our house. And I just used to, I used to act as if I was David. I didn't get into a loincloth or anything. But I was kind of just, um, I'd kind of swing my sling. And then I couldn't really get it right. And eventually I like worked on this thing. And the tree was my Goliath. But what I didn't realize, in, in those little fun little moments of growing up, I, I lost two slings. Uh, the one I flicked my mom's face with, which is never an ideal thing to do. And she threw it out. I still remember where she threw it. And I still want to go back and see if it's still in that bush because I love that sling. Um, but little, little did I know that God is setting me up to something where that has been, honestly, I can map some of my life to David's life. And seeing, like, uh, the first prophetic word I got was from a lady called Kathy Delahunt. And she called me out of the crowd, and I'd just been saved probably about six months, came back to Jesus. And she says, I see you have a heart of David. I see you have a heart of worship. 
And at this stage, I wasn't leading worship. I, was, I don't even think I was on the band necessarily. Uh, and she goes, I see, I, see, I, see you, I see you worshiping God alone. I was like, how did this lady know this? Because I got saved into that and I thought, this is, I don't know how else to connect with God, but to just play my guitar and sing to him. And she started to prophesy a bunch of things that I'm walking in right now. Then there was a lady called Izzy, Izzy Digicini. And um, she prophesied over me and she just said, she goes, I call you by name the most unlikely one. And she starts to prophesy a David heart and, and all of these things. And I was like, it's amazing how God mapped something of my life. Started as a kid, loved playing with a sling, got saved, loved worshiping Jesus. So David has a close affinity to my heart. And it's obviously stuff, the Bible says we can learn from the things of the past. And I want to learn from David's mistakes. Because David was a man that made many mistakes, just like you and me. And uh, we, the, the, I think it's in Romans 15, it says that through the, the stories of the past, they, 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 they give us encouragement so we may have hope. So we learn from these things so we don't have to repeat the mistakes that these certain people have done. So can we turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, please? 1 Samuel 16. Just a little about David. His name appears more than 1,000 times in the Old Testament. More than any other character in the Old Testament. All other kings after David were always evaluated by David. They were saying, this, this king, Josiah, came and he was like his father David because he was a descendant. Or he's like this king who was a bad king came along and says he was not like his father David. He set the standard of what it means to be a king. In the final uh, kind of chapters of, I think it's 2 Samuel, it says that David is called Israel's singer of songs. He modeled what it meant to lead a community through worship. He wrote over half the Psalms. Imagine that. Imagine that being, I mean, that legacy alone, Psalm 23, is just incredible. It was a picture of who he was. It was a picture prophesying about who Christ is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me down beside quiet waters, etc. I thought I'd remember it, but it didn't come. He understood what it means to be a shepherd, to sing to God, to write songs alone. Shepherding the sheep, killing the lion and the bear, he wrote songs. And uh, he would write songs and you'd see them throughout the Psalms and they would just be to the tune of sing the song. And, it, and he would lead the whole people of Israel into a place of singing. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Holy Land, but you'll see that it's a very like singing place. They have a bar mitzvah and then people sing together. They have whatever occasion there's, there's singing. And I believe that it was established by David over, was, yeah, over 3,000 years ago. David established a, a country that worshipped him. Acts thirteen twenty two, this is recalling David's life. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And that was obviously comparing to Saul, which we'll look at a little bit later. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it changes us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would mold us and make us become more like you. And we'd learn so much this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Can I just say as a disclaimer, we're going to get to the end of what I'm reading. And I'm going to call for a response. I'm going to call people to come up. We're going to pray for you maybe for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, maybe for empowering by God, maybe to, to, to work through some stuff in your life. 
but just keep your hearts open. Don't be afraid. We, we, want to, I, I, we had an elders meeting last week, and one of the things we discussed is that we really want people to know that this is a safe place, and this is where we can encounter Jesus. So just keep our hearts open. 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? I'm going to stop right there. To a few verses before, it kind of gives you the story of, of Saul's life, the first king of Israel. Saul comes along, they said he was taller than everyone else. And, and in a Semitic tribe of that time, to be tall would immediately show that there's leadership, that there's destiny, that there's calling. Uh, he had Saul that, that came in, he became the first anointed king. He was even filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to prophesy with the Spirit. It was all, sorry. Prophesy with the prophets, not with the spirits. That's weird. And um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then there came a moment where he just began to disobey God and also began to partially obey God. In 1 Samuel 15, God tells through the prophet Samuel to go to to Saul and say, Now you must destroy all the Amalekites. Do not leave a thing. There's a whole other discussion why that that actually happened. But the, the point is God told him to do something. He says, take... Literally destroy everything that they belong to. Sheep, cattle, the king, everything. Kill them all off. And what Saul does is he partially obeys. He says, cool, I've done all of that, but I've kept the best cattle and I've kept the king. Because in those days, if you kept the king, it was something of like a a trophy that you had conquered this place. And Samuel hears of this and he goes and he basically rebukes uh, Saul and he says, listen, you you haven't obeyed God. He says, God is now taking the kingdom from you and he's giving it to someone else. And again, it's like, what do we learn from that? There's so so much that God is is wanting it. And then there's an incredible scripture that says that God requires obedience, not sacrifice. Because he comes along and Saul repents and he says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then Samuel says to him, God requires obedience, not sacrifice. And there was a key verse, I think I wrote it down here. In 1 Samuel 15, it's just Saul, Saul talking, the first king. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. He feared man's voice above God's voice. There was no fear of man in his heart. That's ultimately why I believe is the kingdom was taken away. Because David messed up and repented, but there was still a fear of God above the fear of man that David carried. It says, uh, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, obviously, this is, if you look through David's life, he's a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Samuel the prophet comes with a horn of oil to anoint the king. Jesus was anointed as king. He anoints, ultimately, David, who is the shepherd king. He goes to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, where David was. Bethlehem, the the meaning of Bethlehem is the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, comes down from heaven into flesh. There's just this picture of Jesus that we see all over the life of David. I love that one line. It says, be on your way. Sometimes we need to move on. Sometimes God is speaking new things. And I think so often, if we want to be a prophetic church, we have to be on the lookout to say, God, what are you saying? Where am I dwelling on stuff in the past? If it's offenses, if it's sin, if it's things that are holding me back, God. But what are you saying? What, is, what, what can I step, on, step into? How can I be on my way into the new thing that you are speaking? Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can, I, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. He, he realized that he was 
obviously he can't go prophesy or like anoint another king when there's still currently a king in place, but he listens to God's voice. He says, the Lord said, take a heifer with you. A heifer is just a, a cow, basically. And say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they came to meet him. And the reason they trembled is that when a prophet came to town, it never was really good news. In those days, it was like there's a judgment that is about to happen. And obviously, and it says, they asked him, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come and sacrifice with me. Um, Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his heart, for I have rejected him. The Lord, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one other, either. Jesse had uh, Shammah pass by him. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to, said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Imagine being in that situation. Well, God, you've told me to do something. But none of these sons you've told me to, the, to anoint as king. So he asked Jesse, are, are these all the sons you have? Jesse answers, there is still the youngest. He is, tending the se- he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will go sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said to him, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Incredible story. Yeah. I love this. I love there's so much we can learn from that. And I went and I heard a sermon many, many years ago. And this guy just took all the meanings of all seven sons. There's only three mentioned there. And he began, let me just go through it. So Eliab is the firstborn. And the meaning of his name is God is my father. First in line, obvious choice. Abinadab, which is a great name, thinking that for our kids. Um, which means my father is noble, which means he carried nobility. Shammah. It's fame or famous. Nethanel, which means given of God, which is favor or favored. Radha, which means to subdue or beat down. I interpret that as someone who's a ruler with a big personality. Ozem, to be strong and have strength. And David, the final son, is called the beloved. And I just started to think through those things. And I, I realized this, when God is choosing us, he doesn't need our pedigree, our heart, our nobility, our fame, our favor, our big personality, or our strength. He just needs someone with a heart after him. And I had that prophetic word over my life, Dan, I call you by name the most unlikely one. And I can tell you, so many times in my life, I have felt overlooked, unworthy, didn't have the goods, didn't have what it took to do what I'm doing right now. Even now, if I'm being honest at times, there's still, it's like, sheesh, did they realize who I am? (laughs) These people are following me. God calls. He qualifies. He equips. He strengthens us. We have grace in him. I remember growing up, 
and this is not a pity party, but let me just tell you what happened a little bit in my life because I feel like it's God who was equipping me in that place. We had a thing at our school called Prefix, a little bit of a throwback from uh, colonial England. And um, it was quite a prestigious thing to be a prefect. And I was like first team water polo. I was, I was mates with all the right people. And then they were calling out the prefix. And my name wasn't chosen. I'm like, okay. Someone messed this up. I was surely meant to be a prefect. I know. Because I've looked at some of those guys that have been chosen. And I was like, I would not choose them. I mean, that, that dude hasn't got a leadership bone in his body. All these sinful thoughts started to come into my mind. And... Um, so felt overlooked. I went to Bible college the, a year, year later. Um, I felt like everyone was kind of being promoted bef- before me. And it felt like, oh, this guy's leading worship. This guy's preaching. This guy's this. And, and I just felt like so many people were kind of stepping ahead of me. And, and it just happened in, in, like almost time after time. And I realized now in hindsight, God is actually preparing me. Because how do we react when we're overlooked? How do we react? Do we try to push and vibe for position to something that's not actually yours in the first place? Or do we just be like, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I think in the Psalms it says, neither from the east nor the west does promotion come, but promotion comes from the Lord. And if God is the one who sees me, who sees my heart, he's going to be the one that brings promotion. And Stala's dad's church, her dad was giving me opportunities until I fell in love with his daughter, and then I felt like I was kicked to the side. And, uh, and then there were guys who were given preaching opportunities and this and that. And, and that for, for someone who's called to ministry and then someone else is always getting an opportunity, that, it kind of hits you in the heart. I mean, you guys can apply to any part of your life. Maybe there's people getting job promotions. Maybe there's people who are getting their breakthrough that you've been trusting through for for years and they got it first. And it's, it's when we see those things and when we see people who are getting these things above us, our, res- our heart response shows a lot about where we're at and who we are. And we need to be able to say, God, we need to be able to celebrate people. We need to be able to celebrate other people's victories. And I think that's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of growing in God because we know that at the right time, God will, will put us into the place that he has for us. It could be promotion at work. It could be whatever it is. God chose David, the most unlikely one, the one forgotten. There's... Um, there's a, if you go read Psalm 69, there's, it kind of alludes to something of David's uh, birth. And there was kind of out of, and there's no like biblical evidence for this. There's just a Jewish tradition. But they were saying that David was almost rejected by the rest of his brothers because they thought he was born out of wedlock, which he wasn't. But they thought there's a whole story behind that. And it, and it, and it, and it kind of just was kind of having a woe is me moment that even my brothers have rejected me. But God always chooses often the rejected of this earth so he can display his glory through us. And God will use your pedigree, he'll use your nobility, he'll use all of those things, but it's under him, it's under humility, it's under his grace, it's under us just bowing our knee to him, having a heart after him. So David was known as a man after God's own heart, and I'm going to go through these quickly. David had, number one, what, what gave him a heart after God? He had a heart for the presence of God. I think it should be up there. A heart for God's presence. Psalm 26, 8. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 51 is a psalm when he sins, he comes to the full realization of his sin, and he says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
so important was God's presence to David that even when he had messed up, he said, God, if there's one thing I ask, please don't take your spirit from me. He loved the presence of God. David, there's a, I think it's in two parts of the Bible, in Revelation and in Isaiah, it speaks about that, that the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. And it just for me, that speaks about a heart of worship. David, as I said in the beginning, he led a whole nation into worshiping Jesus. Why? Because when we worship God, the presence of God comes. It's a pattern we see throughout Scripture. A worshiping heart. Number two, a heart for prayer. David learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. And there's a, there's a story where David is uh, still a fugitive. So you have, almost have three parts of David life, David's life. A shepherd, a fugitive, and then a king. So while he was a fugitive running from Saul, uh, he went and they were fighting in the one place. They came back to Ziklag where, where they had kept their, their, their cattle and their wives and everything. And they realized that someone had raided it, taken their, their family away and, and gone somewhere else. And in 1 Samuel 30, it picks up the story. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and all the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, uh, Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail, the, the, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and, and David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. Big butcher says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Bill Johnson talks about prayer being an exchange. And if we understand the, the depth of what prayer is, and I don't think I've got there every time in my prayer life. But if we go, we, the Bible says that we bring anxieties and we cast it on him. So God, we pour this thing out. If you still leave your prayer time, still carrying those, that sense of anxiety, are we praying the way that God wants us to pray? And I'm on a journey in this. I don't think I'm there at all yet because my wife can tell you that I, at different times in my life, I've struggled, struggled with anxiety, struggled with things that I overthink things. And I'm like, no, actually, Lord, I need to learn how to live like you, Jesus. He says, do not worry about anything. Just lay it at the feet of Jesus. Do not worry about people's reactions. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. David learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. And it shows a lot also about our maturity in him. If we go through tough times, where do we run? And I wrote down a few things. We run to friends. That's not a bad thing. We need friends around us. But we need to run first to Jesus. We need to learn how to strengthen our hearts in him. Find peace in him. Lay everything at his feet. He begins to fix your heart. Then we can bring friends in and they can pray for you. Do we run to pleasure? Which is in some ways to mask the pain. Do we run to things that, are, that, that give us a, a moment of pleasure and, and to say like, oh, let me forget about this thing. Let me just go do X, Y, Z. Do we give up or do we press into God? David knew how to pray. He pressed into God. He pressed into God so much that he found strength to lead these people who said they were bitter in soul and they wanted to stone him. That is like a bad day. I'm sorry. If, I had a, if you guys came along and said, you were all bitter, you're all offended and you're all going to stone me, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd literally go crawl in the corner there and just kind of shake. But David found strength in God and he led those people to go not only to take his family back, to kill the people that took them away, he, he took his family back and were all completely restored. That is what it means to be more than an overcomer. 
We are overcomers in Christ. But so often we can, we can, uh, we see like pain coming towards us and we do like, either we do U-turn or we kind of go around it. Where God is saying so often your greatest victory is when you actually learn how to walk through pain. And you learn how to walk through pain well and you find God in that place. And you begin to dig your own well. You don't get kind of sip off other people's wells. God has called us to dig our own well so we can at any moment dig in. And that not only becomes a well for you, but it becomes a well for others. And it only happens when we choose to walk through pain. Pain is not, it's not our enemy. It's how you walk through it. God will give you grace in that place of pain. And he'll cause you to be more than conqueror the other side. David had a heart of a shepherd. Psalm 78. He chose David his servant and took him from sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. Of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. And someone preached this, and I can't remember who, but they said, God, will always, God calls those who are busy. Not too busy to hear his voice, but busy with something. David was shepherding people. Moses was out doing stuff. People are already kind of set their hearts on mission. It's not like you have this kind of train that you have to get going. It's, it's, it's actually, there's a sense of motion in our hearts. And, and on, yeah, that's a little bit of the side. But David had the heart of a shepherd. I'm going to not get through everything if I don't rush Number four, a following heart. David understood authority. Incredible. Here you have this man who comes under Saul, who by no means was a good king. I mean, he was, he was oppressive. Uh, he was, uh, it's crazy. There was, a, there was a, an evil spirit sent to him, um, and he was tormented by the spirit. He had, uh, he had major jealousy issues with David. There was a song that was sung of David. It says, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Saul had this kind of insecurity issue in his heart. He wasn't an easy guy to follow, but David did his best to follow him until the point came where the, the leader wanted to actually kill him. Saul wanted to kill him. Threw a spear at him. Um, Jonathan, who was uh, Saul's son, said to David, you better leave now. Because if you don't leave now, my father's going to kill you. And anyway, so he had these years of, of fugitive, and there was a moment where uh, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. He could have taken him, killed him, and what he did is he cut a piece of his, his, clo- his clothes off, and he showed him later that he says, I could have killed you, but I didn't, because you are the Lord's anointed. He understood authority. That is what a heart of David is, is that he realizes that, that I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I'll not touch the one who God has called to be the leader. I've had many, I'd honestly say that the test of submission is probably the biggest test that anyone will walk through in following Jesus. And it's submission to authorities, it's submission to leadership. We, we, we believe in a covenant community that comes under the leadership and, and the governorship of this, of this eldership team. And sometimes there's things that get said that we may not like, but we, we, we within reason, understand that we, we're submitting to leadership. And I've had it so many times in my life. And it's, it's a hard test. Uh, I remember Stahler's dad at the time when he didn't like me, he loves me now. But um, he, I was just so keen on Stahler and I was leading worship and he just said, you know what, Dan, you're not able to submit to us in this thing. And I mean, that, he was just kind of dealing with his own stuff as well. So that's just, no one's perfect. Okay. Neither was I. And, uh, and he says, I actually need you to step off the worship team. I was like, oh, that just sucks. Bruce is around there. And I just, I thought, I have a choice now. And I'm not saying that I got it right all the time. 
But what I, in that moment, I, th- I decided, I thought, you know what, I'm going to come sit up front. I'm going to worship my heart out. The thing that I loved doing probably the most at that stage has been taken from me. But I'm going to worship Jesus with my whole heart because God sees. And God restored and Ash and Nadine love me more than their own children now. Stylist parents. It's always about our heart. And we won't get it right all the time, but God sees the intention of our hearts and what we actually put in place. How much time do I have left? We're still good. Five minutes. I'll just finish these points and then I won't get to my whole other section of my preach. Anyway. (laughs) David had a repentant heart. Psalm 51, you can go read it for yourself. But there was a moment where David was, it says, when all the kings were out to war, which shows that he wasn't in the right place. He was still back home at the palace. He had got used to the Dubai comfortable life. Uh, he loved being served by his servants. And he says he, he looked over kind of the, 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 the banister and he sees a woman bathing naked, Bathsheba. And uh, he ends up sleeping with her. And she falls pregnant. She, then he takes her, her husband, Uriah, puts him out in the front of the battle, basically kills Uriah so he can now have this woman that he's had an affair with. And it's just a big mess. But a year, almost a year later, there's this like delayed repentance. David's still living in that place of sin. And a year later, Nathan comes and prophesies over him. The moment Nathan does that, he, he repents with absolutely everything inside of him. He, he, wrote, he writes one of the most powerful psalms that, that has been written. And it just it speaks about, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I've, only against you have I sinned. Father, forgive me. There was true repentance. David, when he realized the extent of what he had been involved in, had true repentance and he had a repentant heart. And the final thing is David had a trusting heart. David trusted God. He had Goliath standing in front of him and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who comes against the armies of our living God? He saw something in the the supernatural that behind him, even though he was a small boy with a sling, they said he could have been anywhere between 15 and 17 years old. He was a small boy with a sling and a nine-foot giant in front of him with a massive sword. He says, I know that I have the armies of the living God backing me. I don't have to put on anyone else's armor. I don't have to try to fight with a sword. I'm just going to fight with the thing that I know. And he ends up killing Goliath, cuts off his head, Israel has great victory that day, but he trusted in God. God is looking for people like David who have a radical, trusting heart after him. And then I just want to read this, and you guys can stand to your feet. Chris, would you mind coming up? 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Some versions say that the Spirit of God rushed upon David. Samuel went, and then Samuel went to Ramah. And I want to start, we're talking about being called. And these are obviously specific calls that we're looking at of Old Testament and New Testament people. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would, would rest on a few people. There would be the Spirit of God that came upon Samson, even though he didn't deserve it in that moment. That came upon Samson, and the, and the presence of God came upon him, and he was able to execute judgment across... Wow, there we are. Execute judgment across the world. Oh, sorry, across Israel. But I want to say that the Spirit of God is for every single one of us. The infilling and the empowering of the Spirit of God is the thing that equips us to be called by God. 
Acts 1 verse 8, God, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. Then you'll be the ones that are called. Can we all bow our heads? I want to just pray over us. And I'm going to trust God's presence to move. Holy Spirit, we just say, come have your way, Father. Father.